with Mark Brew, uh, Roots Above Ground is the dance feature film. Uh, really interesting film, kind of a, a stage kind of dance cinematic journey. Uh, Mark, I'm just right off the bat, I'm so curious about the making of this film. Was this like a stage performance that you guys decided to turn into a kind of a visual film? Like what was the process? How did, the, how did this film come to be? Mm, great question. Um, originally the work was made for stage, so for live performance. Uh, but then obviously with COVID, um, you know, we all had to adapt to, to things online and, you know, being in a dance company and then being dance and visual, you know, we had been making um, some dance films. But with this work, we were trying not to have it as like, oh, it's just a recording of a stage production. Yeah. So we worked with a, we worked with a really wonderful film crew of Wrapped Productions. And after we did the live performances in the show, which were to a limited audience, we really wanted to maximize its potential to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make it into a dance film that would hopefully give our audience members from at home or people who are watching it through through online or through the film a real up close and intimate experience almost as if they were there obviously we're not going to be able to create the live element completely yeah. but um but we did work with the crew in really mapping out the piece and we did a whole day of filming it after the live shows had finished we then came back for another day and then we had mapped out storyboarded the production, the piece, and all the different shots that we wanted to make and where we wanted the film crew or the cameraman to be sort of really in the piece or whether it's also a wider frame and and, and also two camera angle. So we really mapped all the camera angles and also the intimacy as well. So I really felt, hopefully, that the audience are really immersed in it as well. How many cameras did you, did you use when you were shooting? We had, we have one, two, three, four cameras. Okay, so you guys were you guys stopping and starting, or did you just do the? Yes, show? yes, we were stopping and starting, and, and that's why initially when we were talking about doing it, if we filmed it just during the performance, it would have just been a straight run, and it would have just been, you know, almost like two dimensional, just like looking at a screen, you know, um, and as if it's a recording of the live performance, but because we wanted it to be a more yeah, that feeling of immersiveness in it, we then wanted to have more cameras and to then stop and start it. So um, there were some sections or some moments that uh, we did a couple of times or three times. Uh, and then there were some moments where we could, we could just do it once. Like there was the moment when we were using uh, the white chalk powder mm -hmm. and really we only had time to do it once and do it well. So we basically had all the cameras in on the, that moment, but there definitely were other moments there we could do a couple of shoots and a couple of takes at it to get it right. So that must be interesting for the performers because they're used to doing a stage show. So when you're like yelling cut and like do the mm. do the dance over again, how is that for the performers? Yeah, very different for them. A lot of them haven't worked in film and like cut, doing it again. Doing it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was that was out of the angle. We need to bring it in. You need to bring a try to focus to that. And can we just repeat that? And then doing about four to six times, you know, lifting of the table, turning the table with someone on the table. So it definitely, you know, had to bring some patience to it. But um, I think everyone really believed in the work and believed in really wanting to make it the best that we could uh for for our audience so that's sort of why i think everyone was really on board and was really excited about it as well and you know the way that we storyboarded it it was you know important that we sort of kept the narrative uh of, of the story even if it did go into close-up moments rather than seeing the full visuals and that were the sort of that's the choices i was making with the sort of camera director as well about what the priorities were what, what the most important things were 
maybe, maybe it wasn't always about capturing the whole thing, but yeah. maybe we focus on one person and, and a bit of their narrative and their story. I mean, there wasn't a narrative in the sense of obviously spoken text and such, but um, but there was the journey of each of these performers and their lived experience and their journey that we wanted the audience to follow. Yeah, there's just, there's definitely a story in the in the, in the mm -hmm. film, is what you're saying. So just give people like kind of a backstory. So this is Access uh, Dance Company that that does uh does does disabled and non-disabled dancers. So it's sort of like the theme of kind of like showcasing disabled dancers in the showcase. So where do you guys? Where's your home base? Where are you guys located? Um, Access is in California, so their base now is in Berkeley in California, but okay. uh, for a long time they were in Oakland, California, but in the Bay Area. Um, oh. And the company is, yeah, America's leading physically integrated dance company of disabled and non-disabled dancers, and they travel all around the USA internationally performing and, and teaching and doing workshops and masterclasses. And right now, where are you? Where are you right now? Right now, I am actually in Glasgow in Scotland. What are you doing so, I'm actually in the studio doing research for a new work of mine, actually. And um, I'm making a new solo work in collaboration with the Sita Labichikawi, uh, another choreographer. So um, I, I've since since making the piece Roots Above Ground, that was my final piece for Access Dance Company as the as the artistic director. So now they have a new artistic director, Nadia Dame, and I've moved back into being doing freelance and commissions and, and back to my own work as Mark Brew Company. So this was your last kind of like job, I guess, quote unquote, like with the company. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was really, you know, it was really. I mean, it meant a lot to me that work. Um, I sort of pulled out all the bells and whistles, so to speak. Um, I really wanted to be a work that integrated a lot of um, uh, the accessibility features into the work. So we worked with sort of deaf sign language interpreters and deaf artists, and also with our. Um, um, our audio describers as well to have an audio description of the work. And as, as the audience would have seen watching the film, we needed to make sure that all the captioning and text that was in the work was also really visible and clear as well. But in the live performance, it was also audio described live as well. So we do have both in the film versions, one with and without also audio description. So for me, it was really important to make the work accessible to, to a variety of different audience members. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's the, the 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 it's the the magic of film, as you just kind of described. Where like, you know, especially during COVID, even now, like people are kind of like dubious about attending uh, packed houses. And so this film itself, like, you made it a cinematic experience. It's like it's it's mm -hmm. everybody's able to watch it. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it also promotes the the company. It promotes yourself. So it all, when I'm watching mm. it, it's like I want to go now. I want to go see this live. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's brilliant. I mean, Access hasn't had a lot of exposure into the film world, so um, I'm really excited that this that this is being picked up uh, by Wall and and to hear all of the audience's responses and feedback has been really brilliant. Because you know, when you're making a work, you're so immersed in it, and you really want to share that with an audience, but you don't know how people are going to respond to it. So it's just really affirming hearing people's feedback and responses and that everyone sort of went on that journey with the dancers through the piece. Because it really was personal, was personal, personal for me because I was really at this point of transition about where do I belong now? I'm yeah. originally from Australia. I've lived in the UK. I've traveled the world. I was <laughs> then in America for five years. Like, who am I? Yeah. Who are my people? And and it, all of the performers, you know, we're all experiencing that, you know. So um, it was a real personal piece of work that I'm glad I connected with so many people. 
So you're obviously a very talented choreographer, very talented stage uh, director. So what is the what is your experience directing film itself? Like, what was your experience before this film? Um, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, I I have done some other uh, shorter dance films, like about five minutes. I think the longest one's probably 11 minutes. Uh, more so from the movement direction background um, and also being in it myself as, as a performer. I've worked uh, here in Scotland with a wonderful um, filmmaker and camera person, Katrina McPherson, who does a lot of um, screen for dance. Um, and, you know, she we, we did a piece together called Huat Lokans and that primarily worked a lot of improvisation, but in outdoor locations. So doing this film sort of with the director's sort of focus was was different, was a first for me, but it definitely sparked a real interest for me. And I actually have been investigating, oh, maybe I could do more of this as the, you know, as a disabled director directing uh, film. Yeah. No, it, well, it's, you know, that's, it, that's the magic of film because it's like, it's there forever now. Like you made this film. Mm and people can watch it forever and you'll continue to evolve as a director. What is mm -hmm. the biggest leap that you found like making this film? Because it's like, it's getting the audience's attention for 51 minutes mm. kind of an experimental kind of dance film. Like you do a five minute dance film, you kind of have one kind of thematic, one kind of emotional beats. People can get into mm. it. They like it. It's five minutes. They enjoy it. But 51 minutes is a, uh, and you accomplished the goal, by the way, but 51 minutes is quite the task to get to to, to engage the viewer throughout. Totally. And I think that was that was the scary leap of like, yeah. how do I will people stay connected or will they be able to? I mean, and as you know, like there's so much visual stimuli these days and it's easy to be distracted, you know, and yes, people can stay for five minutes or a short. Uh, but to be for a more of a featured documentary length like that, you know, 50 minutes. It is it is a longer thing. So I think that was something that was really scary uh, and nerve wracking. And, and I think that's where also the leap of faith was about making those choices, you know, because as you know, with film, you've got lots of footage and we, you know, we filmed in so many different angles, so many different ways in yeah. and amounts and around, but then making those editing choice and having a really good editor as well really helped um, to sort of bring it all together and to bring the cohesiveness to it. Um, but there, yeah, definitely there was... Uh, risk of uh, the length and also making those choices of what we put in and what we don't. Yeah, well, that's the magic of filmmaking, right? Because you said you had four cameras, 51 mm. minutes. Like, there's a million different ways you could have edited this film because you had so many mm. different angles and stuff like that. And I, I saw what you guys were doing. It's like you're, you're getting in, you're getting emotionally attached to the characters, and then you're always kind of going back to the master shot where, like, you're giving them kind of people a sense of, like, this is, we're on stage, we're doing this, but then you're kind of moving into these and getting uh, these really kind of getting the dance sequences. But I want to go with the lighting because it's like, mm. it's a little bit different. Is it the same lighting that you use for the stage and for the film? Um, I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was the same lighting, but the levels changed because we need to bring the levels up higher okay. um, than, than what they were in this sort of stage production. And also I think what was, a, what was an interesting challenge you know, with this film is we had like almost, we had a film already going on almost as the backdrop. There was the film, the projections, the visual projections, which had its journeys of sort of location and imagery. And then we were recording that as well. So I think that's why also we then pulled back to sort of give people this sort of visual overview of how yeah. things looked before we also went 
focused in. So it was a really interesting experiment to have all these elements. And then with the lighting, there were moments that we would have to stop and the camera person was saying, oh, it's not coming up clear enough. So we redid it and then we asked the lighting designer just to bring the levels up higher. Yeah, well, even like in terms of when you get, there's the one sequence, I think it's like, uh, it's about 20 minutes in, beautiful sequence, like it's seven or eight dancers and you're kind of in the close up. But the the the, the camera operator's got to keep in focus. He's got to keep in focus. Like your focus puller's got to make sure that because there's so many movements with the dancing, mm. right? So it's like a, it's not the easiest thing. Like, but have you learned about what you can do with a camera? Like, have you like did you was that your education for this film? Yeah, I mean, definitely working with the camera person, and they would show me the shot um, and how it would look, and then and then making that decision, and then also. Yeah, as I mentioned before, like sometimes like taking a risk. And like there was a moment I know when we did the movement with the table near the end. And it's like, I think the camera person just needs to get in it, just be in it. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, often the camera people don't really know dance, but the dancers so well know their work and materials and dancers are able to work around it. But the cameraman ends up going, you know, with the table, moving with them. So it really gave this thing of like, the dancers were dancing on top of uh you know the camera or the lens as as the audience would be watching it so they felt like their audience member would really be in it yeah and let's not talk let's talk about your dancers for a second because they're they're incredible and mm. but there is a difference between between like because you are getting close to there's a difference between performing on stage and performing on camera right where like you don't want to yeah you can't be over the top because the camera is going to mm. capture all the emotions on on their faces i guess right yeah, Did you yeah, talk yeah. To I mean, at all about that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and it was new for them, as I mentioned. Not a lot of them had done film before, and uh, but you know, when you are on stage, you are so used to projecting out to the yeah. audience, to the front. So when it came to the film, and also when we filmed it, as you know, it was the day after the shows, so there was no audience. So they had to be more, I guess, more in more internal, more about you know, without sort of their eyes and focus gotcha. going into a glaze, but be more you know, aware of what was going on there and then in their direct surroundings and being present that way. And also without the temptation of, you know, looking down as the camera lens too, because it wasn't, you know, I wanted the camera to be a voyeur, be a part of it in that yeah. world rather than them performing it to the camera. It is interesting because it's like as a someone performing on stage, it's like they're they're capturing the energy of the crowd, I guess, right? And mm -hmm. so there's a vacuum in a sense where there there's no crowd for them to to get them up i guess right i guess everybody every performer is different but some of them obviously are grabbing the energy from the crowd i guess right yeah totally i mean as live performers yeah you're you're being fed from that crowd and that crowd wasn't there yeah so um but it must be so weird really, for them <laughs> yeah no it was weird yeah. but i think they were also riding that wave of they just done, I think, four shows with an audience. So yeah. I think they they knew the piece was a success, and they knew, you know, that it was special, and that you know that they wanted to share it, you know, in this media. So I think they just they tapped into that energy, but they also had to feed it off each other too, because it was hard to like do it again, do it again, because when you do a live show, you don't have to repeat it straight away, you know. Yeah. So that was a that was um something that we had to yeah work through, and and also conserve our energy too a little bit at times so talk to me about the 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 the, the stable dance of the wheelchair dancers like where mm. they're incredible so but like i'm just so curious about like the origin story so how does somebody who's in a wheelchair 
decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a dancer. Like, how does that, like, is my, like, say I have a six-year-old daughter who like does dance, dance, like in a, in a dance company. And it's like, so I see somebody who's like, say, unfortunately disabled, like how, where, where, where do they go? Like, how does this even, how does this happen? Mm, and I'm glad you're asking that question. And I, and I think these days, thankfully, there are different entry points um, into dance. And I do feel like the world has a long way to go, but also it has opened up um, doors and, and possibilities for, you know, disabled dance artists and disabled people. Uh, there's a lot more disabled people in the world. There's a lot more people, you know, amongst society rather than yeah. in, uh, in the hidden, hidden away in the years in the past. But, um, you know, for example, my journey uh, I am a disabled uh, dancer, choreographer, and director. I'm a wheelchair user, and I trained as a dancer. So I had, uh, as a non-disabled dancer, so I had a very traditional formal training. Like I used to say, I went to like a fame school and and did all those dance styles. And and then I was in a car crash that um, caused my uh, spinal cord injury, my neck, and and my disability. But I knew that I wanted to continue dancing. Okay. So I basically had to then find my own routes and own ways. But I did have an entry point because I knew other dancers and other people. And, and that took me to New York and to London to start to retrain and work with other people. But um, other people who say, for instance, have been born with a disability, some of the entry points have been through open workshops or classes. Uh, and now we have a lot more integrated dance companies of disabled and non-disabled dancers in the world. Um, and, you know, disabled artists are more visual than they used to be, which is great. There's been a lot more platforms to present work by disabled artists. So it is a lot more visible. Uh, and I know when I quite my disability, one of the first things I did was go back to teaching. So I then went into like a dance school and, and I was then teaching someone like your daughter a dance, but I was a disabled teacher teaching. So, um, so I think it depends on the person. Two of the sure. dancers you mentioned, Jumpy Star, had, you know, they acquired their disability from, from a young age so as a child. And, and but they had always wanted to be in performance arts and, and did study performance arts at university and then started looking out for dance opportunities with other companies. Uh, he, Jumpy Star, first of all, came to our summer intensive that we had every year at Access in California. And from that summer intensive and residency, I then saw them and then they auditioned for the company and then they got a role. So, um, and then DeMarco, who DeMarco also acquired their disability, but they did a lot of street dance work beforehand and and they'd always danced and then they continued as a dancer using a wheelchair as well. So uh, so how long ago, like, like how old were you when, when you unfortunately had your gear accidents? I was 20 uh, when I had my accident. So that actually, now I was going on to 24 years ago. So um, I didn't want you to say, say if you're happy to see your age, but uh, <laughs> you know, some people are sensitive. But I was just more curious about Spring like, so chicken. you're on your way as a dancer, is that correct? And then mm. all of a sudden this, this accident, unfortunate, like so emotionally, this must have been mm. quite the journey for yourself to like, get you know get past this and kind of like still stay in dance company like that's very mm -hmm. courageous on your part i know there's like i'm sure there's been there was leaps and valleys and lots of like yeah, journeys along the way true. but the key like that must have been obviously without uh, that's an understatement but must have been devastating for you to like have that mm. and have like start the second stage of your life yeah definitely and i yeah i was 19 20 and i i was working with a ballet company in south africa at the time so i'd been working professionally you know since i was 17 you know um 
And yeah, I mean, my whole life had been training to be a dancer and using my body. Uh, so then to acquire a disability yeah. and, and then to be told by the doctor, you're paralyzed from the chest down. I mean, it was, you know, I guess a dancer's worst nightmare um, coming true. But, you know, whether it's a statement of my personality or my stubbornness, however it may be, I knew that I wanted to keep dancing. I didn't know how, um, but I knew that that passion uh, was still there, was still in me to want to be able to express myself through movement. And that's when I realized actually dance, dance isn't about having to be on two legs with wonderful China high extension. Dance is about moving and moving your body and expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I could still do that. It was just different. Well, you know, I mean, you're not, I'm sure you're not going to, you're going to be modest about this, but you must have been inspirational for a lot of people to like, for, for all the things you accomplished and, mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of like starting a new kind of like, you know, a, a new kind of generation, a new kind of like saying that, no, we, as you just, as you described eloquently, it's not about, it's about movement. It's not about having mm -hmm. legs. It's like mm -hmm. anybody can mm -hmm. do that. And it's like, that's sort of mm -hmm. like, that's an, that's an inspirational kind of thing mm -hmm. that you just mentioned. It's mm -hmm. like, so I'm sure that, that it wasn't as easy as you described, but, but like, mm -hmm. what, have you had any roadblocks along, like, like, what, like what, like what major roadblocks along the way? Like anybody kind of try to doubt you and kind of say, what do you, like, I'm sure you've had these journeys, I guess. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, as you mentioned, um, the journey hasn't been all smooth sailing, that's for sure. And I think thanks to my stubbornness and determination, that has definitely helped me to continue. And, and I do like to think that, you know, not so much as inspiration, but I do like to hope that I have created space for others to yeah. to follow their passion, their path as dance. And, and yeah, to, whether you call it being a role model, you know, hopefully I hope that has helped other people. But I never had that. There wasn't really at the time, 24 years ago, a lot of people doing a lot of people doing this. So I had to forge my own way, which took me to America and took me to the United Kingdom and then traveling the world. But, um, you know, I think the biggest block has been people's attitudes, people, um, people who've been very ableist, of course. Who are you? You're not a dancer. You can't dance. You're a wheelchair. You wouldn't even say you're a wheelchair user. I'd say, oh, but you're a wheelchair. And rather than actually, no, I'm a person. I use a wheelchair. Um, so definitely people's attitude, ableism, um, the practical things, you know, of trying to, you know, get to auditions or to run a workshop and it's not accessible. So the the sort of physical barriers as well as the attitudinal barriers. Sure. Um, but one thing I've I've you know found um, in a company is is that the the disability community is there, and that's sort of where I, I found a lot of strength within within the community to to keep going. Um, and obviously having good friends and family around. That's amazing. Yeah, but that's like you need somebody, right? But yeah, as you described, mm -hmm. it's like people can see that you've done it. So then that it's like we all kind of need somebody to kind of show us the way a little bit, right? Even if we don't know them personally, we've seen something. It's like, oh, they did it. Okay, I can do it too, right? And so, like mm -hmm. as you said, like you're kind of like a you're like the you're like a trendsetter. Like you mm -hmm. you started this, and all these people behind you, even even probably the dancers in this film, probably like look up to you mm -hmm. and say okay, we can do this because you did it, I guess, right? Yeah, and, you know, even even people before me, I mean, you know, uh, Judith Smith, who started Axis Dance Company and, and Bonnie Lukovic, who are one of the founding members. I mean, when I came to discover them, I was like, wow, there are other people, you know, but I had to, start, I had to leave Australia to find it, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like at my doorstep. 
um, back then. And and Celeste Danica, who also started a company with Adam Benjamin in London called Kenduko, who I danced with as well. That's the UK's leading integrated dance company. But she was the you know a disabled wheelchair user uh, artistic director of that company. So there were a few that I discovered when I left Australia to find in source. But but I think now, which is wonderful, that you know the so disability arts and the population and, and people with disabilities, you know, really now knowing that there is a possibility there. And, and that's really humbling for me because I didn't think it was possible, but I just was determined. <laughs> so what's next for you? Are you going to make, are you going to make more films? I know you're going to um, uh, yeah, be part of companies and do stage. Are you going to make more films? I am. Um, I've made another short film called Renewable and it's sort of doing a bit of the circuit at the moment. It's a, just a short you know, dance to screen film. Um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully I'll do some more. I'm I'm working on a new live production as a new solo uh, that'll be premiering in 24. But I'm also doing my first ever work for children, um, which is going to be of a cast of disabled, non-disabled dance artists as well. So some new things, some new adventures. And um, and now that, you know, Reads Above Ground has received, you know, such great response, hopefully um, I'll get more opportunities to, to do that again. So just to uh, people you know, Renewable was a, a four-minute short film. We've actually showed it at our festival. Susan Hay directed it. Great. You, you were that's the, right. You performed it, I guess, well, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's an incredible film. I love that film as well. So uh, yeah. connections. what did you think about the audience uh, feedback video that we sent you on the film? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, you did send me. Um, I was just, it was really humbling. It was really, because, you know, you do make this, you really want people to connect with it. You don't know, and there's a bit of a risk, especially doing something that was, you know, originally designed for a live show. But I didn't really, I, you know, with this film, we, I didn't want it to be like, oh, this is a recording of a live piece. I really wanted this. This piece was made for film, you know, the way that we did it. Um, but it was just, it was just really wonderful to hear the feedback and also to hear that people did follow the stories, did connect with the performers, and stayed through it for that 50 minutes and watched the whole thing. And um, and for some people. It's the first time they've seen something like this, yeah. you know, and for others, it was something that I could relate to and connect to. And that was really powerful for me. Yeah. So, yeah, basically the the the, the agenda is to get people like new people and then obviously your kind of core audience as well. Right. So mm-hmm. and, and everybody loves the film. So it's like I hope it I wish the best with this film. I hope it gets out there. It gets more to more festivals. More people see it. I truly believe that there is like a mainstream dance film like this that the masses would, would enjoy. So perhaps you can, you can be with the filmmaker for the, to a future film like that. I'd love to, I'd love to. <laughs> so any producers out there, hit me up. That'd be great. Check out Mark Brewery. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, you're a talented guy. And like I said, renewable oh. too. We're also showing our festival. You're fa- fantastic. Great. I wish you the best of luck and in, uh, in your journey. And, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five.